0: Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment, and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all, and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Thursday, October 28th, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Good to be with you, Gamecock fans. Happy Thursday to you. Thanks to Heritage Digital, as always, Um, sponsoring this opening segment of the podcast. Appreciate that. Appreciate all you guys tuning in. Got a lot of mailbag questions to get to later in the I Help Consulting mailbag. Uh, You can get in on that, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please go follow that Twitter account. Um the off week, the open date, so not a lot of media availability. Shane Beamer, SEC teleconference, kind of the same old stuff. Uh talked about Jason Brown getting reps. Zeb Nolan had a surgical procedure. Uh said he wasn't walking around like he was hurt. Uh sort of left the door open for him starting against Florida. That's Zeb. Uh I think Jason Brown's probably gonna start though. I I I I even if Zeb was not hurt um and and i'm not trying to overrate what jason brown did in mop up duty i think you know sometimes we get a false sense of what a guy can do uh, if he goes out there and shines in mop up duty or in a spring game as jason brown has done uh but you look at it and from a talent of like a, an evaluation standpoint right you know you you look and see kind of what he can do well he's more mobile than Uh, Luke Doty was with a hurt foot. Uh, Not as fast as Luke, obviously. Uh, I like the way he can kind of avoid pressure uh, because you're going to get pressure. Obviously, playing Florida, you're going to get pressure, Uh, no matter how good or bad your offensive line is. Uh, He can avoid pressure, keep his eyes downfield, and uh, try to hit the open receiver. Now, this is not a guarantee that the Gamecock offense is suddenly going to go out there and light it up. Uh, I think the issues are much more systemic than anything on offense right now. Um, But Jason Brown deserves a chance. They have to do something, okay? So, it's, you know, I've seen this situation before where a guy comes in off the bench, gives the whole team a spark because of his style of play, and away we go. I've also seen it where it's a complete disaster and back to the drawing board. Uh, And I don't know what to expect. Uh, When we get to Florida here in a couple of weeks, I think, you know, if I were them, and I'm not, if I were them, I would uh, scale it back. I'd scale back the offense. And, you know, there's a a lot sort of like if you remember Will Muschamp's defense, right, and uh, this is a good point of comparison. You know, the safety play was never good uh, when he was here. And he said many times we put a lot on our safeties. Uh, and they do, and it was a confusion thing. I mean, look at how the safeties are playing this year. It's it's pretty simple and basic, and the guys are out there playing free. And and I think in football and any kind of sports in general, the freer you can play, the better you can play. And I think that the, the quarterback situation, the offensive line situation, and again, it gets back to the, the system being way too complicated. Um, and, and look, it, it, it it's a deal where. You know, you got Jason Brown out there. Obviously, there's a reason the coaches haven't been playing him. And, you know, it's directly related to being able to, quote, unquote, run this system. Well, you know, it doesn't matter if Zeb Nolan can run the system or not, if if he's just getting, you know, bulldozed every play. And if you can't run the football uh, with that type of quarterback. And that's nothing against Zeb. I I think Zeb's had some good moments this year. A uh, good story, you know, being a GA and coming back and helping the team. I think he's a great teammate, as is Jason Brown, as is Luke Doty. But, um, you know, they, they can't go out there and expect, especially against the Gators, because Grantham, you know, he, he's going to he's gonna give you opportunities downfield, but he's also going to dial it up. That's what they do. They have speed, athleticism. They're, Florida's one of the fastest teams Carolina plays every single year on the schedule, regardless of how good they are or not. Um, they're still fast. I remember that 2017 game, Carolina won the game. AJ Turner, Mon Denson had good running days. Jake Bentley struggled early with some interceptions, but even then, I mean, they're led by an interim head coach, Randy Shannon, at that time because they had fired McIlwain Uh, and then, you know, Chris Romp's calling the defense, and uh, you know, it wasn't like this big coaching chess match or anything with those guys, nothing against those guys, but uh, You know, you you look at it, and that that defense Florida put on the field that day was exceptionally fast. I mean, they are a fast, fast defense. And if you don't make quick decisions and you're you're not able to match that, that's when Grantham's defense can dominate you. Um, and, And so that's a concern. And if Jason Brown goes in there with, you know, 50 plays he has to remember and 20 different protections to call out and all that good stuff, I don't. I don't have any confidence that that he's going to play any better than the others. I do think, though, from a skill set standpoint, that uh, if you scale it back and, and and look, I'm not. I'm not saying Jason Brown is uh, not mentally able to run this offense. I, I, I'm not saying that it's not about Jason Brown because I don't. Luke Doty and Zeb Nolan, obviously, you know, <laughs> weren't uh, stellar uh, in running it. I, I think, I think that th- this, this is something I've been calling for, for a long time. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, Brown's the type of guy that can be successful if you let him play free. And, uh, you know, I, I, I he's not the fastest guy. Uh, he's not anywhere close to being as fast as Doty, uh, when Doty's healthy, but he's a guy that can run and get yardage with his legs. And, you know, you, you run the inside zone, you could tag the zone read off of it. He can keep it. um, I think working out of the shotgun with some tempo is probably what best serves him, um, just from a personnel standpoint. Uh, and, and basically, you know, uh, what I would do, if I were Marcus Satterfield, Chain Beamer, whoever, uh, I would take what they ran against A&M, what Brown felt comfortable running, add a little bit to it, you know, because you can't go out there with three or four plays, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and just a little bit and get um, – You know, see if you can't move the football, because honestly, I mean, you've got opportunities uh, in the run game against this group. You've got opportunities down the field in this group. But if they're dominating your offensive line and you have a sitting duck back there quarterback, it's going to be a long day. That's that's sort of what the the Todd Grantham defense is all about. So if you're South Carolina, you know, I I really believe with all of my heart that, uh, you know, (laughs) you've got to do something a little different on offense, and, and it's an open date, so that's good, um, to kind of get it done, uh, you know. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where uh, South Carolina, you know, can can salvage its season. You know, maybe they won't beat Florida, but the offense plays well. You go out to Missouri, they're really struggling on defense, uh, you know, you got Auburn and Clemson, you know, those games right now, I mean, Auburn's probably the most consistent team out of those two. And Auburn's been getting better and better. We'll see how they do against Ole Miss this weekend. But Auburn's kind of hitting its stride. Uh, you know, Missouri's obviously not good defensively. Clemson's struggling offensively. Uh, Florida is not, you know, they're down a little bit. Their fans are grumbling and stuff. Uh, I think they've lost six out of eight against Power Five competition. Um You know, so you see there is opportunity here if you fix it. Now, the flip side of that, going into the Florida game, is going to be the defense. Um, And, you know, I I didn't really have much in terms of how to fix it. I I think the defense is really playing as best it can right now. Uh, You know, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're playing your best, you know, uh, you you can't really fault – uh, the coaches. it is year one they they did lose a lot of talent in the secondary. and I think those guys back there have played their butts off. you know they're they're maximizing that ability. that's a that's a tribute to Torian Gray, uh, Clayton White, the defensive staff. Uh, but matching up against Florida is tough uh, with Dan Mullen, especially if Richardson plays quarterback. You know, even with Emory Jones, you know you're, you're having to stop something you're probably not used to stopping. And my one suggestion for the defense was obviously play play Mokaba and Debo Williams a little more. I think those guys are very promising linebackers. I think they give you a little bit more with speed. You know, compared to a uh, Damani Staley or Brad Johnson. I'm not saying bench those two guys, Johnson and Staley. Uh, I'm just saying you know maybe you give the younger guys a little more reps. I think um, I think that's the case there. So, you know, that's the way things are going. You know, talking to some people about the offense the last three or four days, you know, and, and kind of digging into it, you know, and, and it gets back to what I've been saying. And I, and I take no pleasure in being right about this um, just because I, uh, you know, it would be a lot better if this this offense was going up and down the field and or at least competent, you know, at least if it was like we expected it to be, you know. Uh, Coming into this year, South Carolina was supposed to be a run-oriented team with a veteran offensive line that opened some holes last year and good running backs and all that. Now, I know Kevin Harris uh, isn't really himself right now, but you do have other guys that are pretty good back there in the backfield. Um, You know, you look at it in the SEC Stat Cat on Twitter, who does a good job with X's and O's, breaking it down, all that good stuff. Uh, I was reading on the message board today that he had a podcast. He talked about, you know, why South Carolina doesn't do more pin and pull like they did last year. It was their best play. And it really was their best running play for two years. Because in 2019, that was a pretty good play too. Now teams that stopped it, uh, and some teams did, don't get me wrong, uh, Gamecocks didn't go very far. But, you know, this playbook is supposed to be this expansive, you know, encyclopedia of plays. (laughs) You know, and and so uh, I'd be surprised if it wasn't in there. And if it's not, my question is why. And if it is, my question is why I haven't you called it more? Uh, you know, that, that just seems like common sense to me. And some of the public comments from Shane Beamer indicated that the, you know, there's a lot of the run plays they ran last year that they're still running. Um, so we'll see sort of if anything changes in that regard. Uh, obviously Florida is susceptible to the counter (laughs) Uh, LSU ran at a bunch against these guys and um, we'll see how Georgia does this weekend, but they were very susceptible to it. Uh, And and then the pin and pull stuff. If you you think back, you know, the last three years, really South Carolina's run the ball against Florida with success. 2018 um, actually last four. I mean, I mentioned 2017 Turner and Denson, 2018 Turner and Denson did really well, especially in the first half uh, with some of their stuff at the pit and pull. You know, 2019 Feaster uh, had a really big day against the Gators. And then last year that was Kevin Harris's first hundred yard game, uh, the second game of the year down in Gainesville. So, you know, South Carolina has been able to run it against these guys, you know, the last few years, but uh, will it happen this year? I don't know, you know, but I think, uh, you know, you look at this and you sort of look at what's working on offense around the SEC because at this point you want a point of comparison. And uh, I said this over the offseason, that it was going to be a very interesting case study uh, with these guys that, you know, some teams had hired as anal- – you know, that were analysts in the NFL that are coming back from, you know, the Rams or the Panthers or wherever. You know, LSU hired two guys from the Panthers. Um, didn't work. <laughs> hadn't worked you know Ed Orgeron's out as the head coach uh, so that's done um, you know Kentucky is winning football games uh, but they're winning it a lot more you know and everybody was kind of fired up at the beginning of the year with Will Levis and uh, Wondell Robinson and sort of more of a vertical passing game uh, and uh, you know that's a that was kind of the, the deal early but you watch Kentucky now, they're basically just doing what they've always done, lining up, running it with uh Rodriguez and Kavasky Smoke, and uh they're getting it done. Now they're passing games more competent, and they hired Liam Cohen from the Rams, but they're still statistically in, near the bottom of the SEC. All right, so you get that. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt's guy they hired from the Cardinals. Shout out to Cliff Kingsbury for being undefeated right now with the Cardinals. He didn't even make it to the first game play calling wise. Now, I don't know if maybe they looked around and they're like, we can't run the air raid here right now. Uh, but Clark Lee stripped him of play calling duties almost right away, gave it to a, another assistant who actually was under Pete Limbo at uh, Ball State. Uh, and, and so that, that hasn't really worked. Obviously, Vanderbilt's not a juggernaut on offense. And so then you get to South Carolina and we all know the problems there. You look at the top offenses, And four out of five, three out of four, uh, have some sort of influence from the Art Bryles coaching tree. Where did Art Bryles come from? Well, let's talk about that. But, you know, we all remember Bryles coaching at Houston. Uh, Gamecocks played them and beat them in the Liberty Bowl in 2006. And so, you know, we all remember that. And uh, before that, though, he was a high school coach. And, you know, just kind of talking to people and, and, and understanding what makes a good collegiate offense. And, and look, there's no, there are no absolutes here, guys. There, there's no uh, square, you know, there's no, nothing that says, Hey, an analyst from the NFL cannot possibly come and be a great play caller in college. That, that's just not, there's nothing a hundred percent. Right. Um, but what you cannot do is approach it, like an NFL offense. And, and you think about high school coaches that have come to college uh, and, and it, they're far more successful, far more successful, uh, as opposed to somebody coming back from the NFL. Now, there are freaks out there like Bill O'Brien. Uh, and then there are guys that have gone to the pros like Petrino and Steve Spurrier, where their systems up there didn't really work. and They've come back to college and been fine. Um, so it's not a hundred percent, you know, uh, you know, you can't NFL is not necessarily this, you know, poisonous kryptonite for college offenses, but you have to understand where you're coaching and, and college coaches and high school coaches are teachers. Essentially, you have to teach. Um, and there's a big difference in the time you get, you know, NFL offenses. And I was told this, uh, are full of nuance, right? And so, you, you, you've got all these little tiny details, these intricacies that end up making it go. And you have to do that because everybody's players are good, you know? So that little extra nuance or that little extra thing that you do, or that the complexity of it is what makes it go. Well, well let's compare the players to the, to the, to the, uh, college players, right? In, in, in the pros, you have almost no motivation that you have to do, right? Um, You don't have to sit there and get your guys going. You don't have to sit there and motivate them. They're all pros. And in the NFL, there's no guaranteed contracts. So these guys are are out there playing for money, you know, playing to get better, playing, playing to stay on the team. That's why what's great sometimes about the NFL is you'll turn on a game in mid-December between two teams out of the playoffs, and those guys are out there playing their ass off because they know if they don't, they're going to get cut. I mean, it, it's a job. On top of that, NFL guys come in at 7 in the morning, uh, meetings, 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 practice. Maybe they get a massage or something. They're pros. Uh, go back, practice, 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 and they leave the building at 7 at night. Um, and, and so you could put in a 12 hour day, and it's all football. On top of that, you know, so no motivational factor, a ton of time to put things in, and learn them and rep them, and, and, and then uh, on top of everything else, you know, you, you're you go sign players through free agency to fit your system. You could trade to get players that fit your system. And you can draft to get players to fit your system, you know, so you can tailor make your r- roster, you know, to be uh, a fit, you know, in college, you got to go recruit. And sometimes you just got to take the best player, you know, and, and fit him in, um, you know, and, 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 these guys, not only are the best, some of the greatest athletes in the world, you know, as far as NFL players go, they, they go through things like the wonderlick test and, and aptitude stuff, and, and you know they're they're thoroughly evaluated across the board because you don't want to waste the money on them, right, you know, because it's a business. College football is a business, but uh, and, and I know a lot's happened in the sport that make it even makes it even more so. But look, man, you you know, number one, you have to motivate your players, you know, and 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 that's part of it. You know, college kids are not as motivated as pros; they're not out there playing for contracts or salaries or anything like that some will make the NFL and some want to put some stuff on tape and that's fine and it's all good um but really at the end of the day you know uh these are still college kids NIL whatever transfer portal whatever you want to say that makes it more like the pros these are still college kids you know so that that's the first thing number two yeah 20 hours in a week right to meet, put in your game plan, rep it, uh, you know, meet practice uh, and the game, the game, the three hour game counts towards that 20 hour week rule, you know? So if you're that limited, you tell me how, even after eight games, a bunch of college kids are, are going to be able to learn an NFL offense. And, and, and look, uh, it'd be a different story if, if if south carolina was the only team that ever tried this and every or or if, if the only team that ever struggled doing this uh, around college football only side of the ball uh but yeah i got a great example i've said it many times uh, steve Wilkes, missouri defensive coordinator great defensive mind coached in the nfl as a head coach uh obviously has probably forgotten more football than me, you, the thousands of listeners to this podcast, everybody on the big spur, everybody, you know, most people in college football, I mean, you know, coaches, I mean, Steve Wilkes, defensive guy. Well, So why is Missouri's defense so bad? They got a lot of players back. Well, it's because it's complex. It's NFL. You can't fit that square peg into a round hole. And – I, you know, in the NFL too, you you love all these personnel groupings and it sort of just is what it is and all this other stuff. You know, so so in college, it's about getting your best players of the football, right? Um, and not just matchups. You know, the, the matchups uh, obviously have to be dissected. And I haven't seen that either at all. Like, you know, let's go pick on this guy or this guy or this guy. It just seems like. Carolina's out there calling plays and, and that's another sign of the difference between NFL and college. You know, you look at it and you're like in college, you know, you, and this is a this is something Spurrier did and every good play caller does, you know, you kind of scout the other guys and you're like, well, this guy's not that good. They're trying to hide him. Let's pick on him. Let's go right at him. I don't see that from South Carolina. Now maybe it's just because of the results and I'm, and it's happening and I'm just not smart enough to see it. And that's possible. I'd never say it wasn't, but, uh, you know, in college, you're going to get deficiencies against teams. I mean, even Alabama. You know, you could sit there and say, "Oh, this guy, all these other guys are studs, but this guy is a liability, and they're susceptible to this, that, and the other." So I don't know. You know, I don't know what the uh, scouting uh, scouting philosophy is uh, on offense at South Carolina right now. Um, and so, with that limited amount of time. There's just no chance for success, and I said this on JB and Goldwater this week. I was like, you know, people talk about talent, you know, and then there's this big debate: is it talent? Is it is it this? And and again, I'm going to tell you, South Carolina's offense is not the most talented team in the SEC by a mile. You know, they're they maybe they may not even be talent wise top half, okay, but they have a, they have enough playmakers this year compared to last year to be a whole lot better than they are, right? Um, and when you can't score, it starts to – and we've seen this against better teams – it starts to impact your defense in a negative way because these guys are out there trying really hard. And, you know, any little success they have, case in point, Jalen Foster, another interception yeah. against a offense does nothing with it. You know, Tennessee, down 14 nothing. defense's wheels are kind of spinning against the tempo. Well, how you beat a team like that is you score, you run the ball and you score. And uh, then you're in it. Then your defense comes back out, fired up, ready to, you know, go back. And as it stood, after the infamous goal line calls against the Vols, you know, boom, they get the ball back. They have the momentum. South Carolina's kind of on its heels. It's 21-0. Then a fumbled snap. It's 28-0. Boom. Over. Game over. That's it. Game over. So, you know, that's, the, that's a big problem with uh, Gamecocks as a football team right now, not just the offense, but the offense is negatively impacting everybody else. Now, like I said earlier, is the defense a bunch of world beaters? No. The issues we see on defense I think are going to have to be solved through recruiting. Uh, I don't know if there's any coaching issues on that side. I think they're maximizing folks. People want to blame the defensive line alone uh, for lack of stopping the run. And I'll I'll tell you right now, the linebackers are just as much of an issue with that run stopping thing. Plus they played really good backs. I mean, you know, sometimes you just got to say those other guys are good, you know, shoot. So, you know, that, that's kind of my thing of that, you know, as far as the offense goes, uh, you know, I've I've said this, I've, I've had a hunch about this for a while. And as every week goes by, there's more and more evidence of this, what they're trying to do is very, very complex. Now, you won't get into the blame game here, blame Shane Beamer, whatever. That's fine. I'm gonna tell you this: he's not the first coach in the world who has hired someone uh, that, that had a plan that sounded great and then it didn't work out. Um. So if he does move on from Marcus Satterfield at the end of the year or whatever, you know, I, I don't, I don't. When you look at the other coaches he's hired and you look at kind of the good things he's done, you know, I don't think that. You know, I, I, I'm saying, give him a pass. Give him a pass. Uh, you know, if he does make a change, and and I do think that that's, you know, whether if you keep Satterfield, fine. I would guess. I don't. That's not what I would do. Uh, but you better do something different. You know, you can't have all this learning. Uh, we just went through that, right? At South Carolina, the must champ thing. You remember hearing about all that? We talked about it on the podcast. NFL focus and all that good stuff. And that's, this is different because this is not let's focus on getting individual players to the NFL, as opposed to winning football games. And and look, I'm not saying that's what Will Muschamp did because obviously nobody wanted to win more than him, but culturally there ended up being, you know, less of a team vibe Beamer and his staff were very hard at changing that. Right. Right. Um, this is a different kind of NFL. And look, I, I honest to God, and I love NFL football just like everybody. Um, honest to God, if I don't hear the word the three letters NFL ever again, uh, with the exception of the draft <laughs> at South Carolina, uh, I'll be a happy man. You know, just because I just don't think it's realistic. Even even if things turn around this year, like let's say they simplify and play Jason Brown. Uh, if you're just going to get through these four games, have success, and then then say, "Oh, we've arrived," then you got a whole new group of players. You have to teach it to. Are we going to have to go through this for eight games again? That kind of there, there's a lot of questions there um, in terms of the offense. You know, you, you have to be able to, you know, do all those things. Like I said, motivation's a big part of college football. You don't have to do that in the pros. You know, so your approach there has to be different. You got to spend time doing it. Um, there's not enough time in the week to continue to install this, this thing, you know, and, and it's just, it's one of those things that I think snowballed a little bit. Um And uh if they were getting results, even if, even if it were, you know, cause that, again, there's the debate, is it talent or coaching? Well, you know, if, if they were playing when they play some of the less talented teams, if it was, if it wasn't a struggle and the offense went up and down the field, well, then, you know, okay. Those players are just better, you know, I and mean, so it doesn't matter. But this this offense is stalling against Troy, against ECU. It was a dumpster fire for a while. They had to pull a rabbit out of their hat against Vanderbilt. Even against Eastern Illinois, although that game was 46 nothing, you know, you're up 29-0 at the half, then you get one touchdown second half against that team, which was not a very good team. So – you know, what are you supposed to do? You know, and, and, and that's, that's the deal there. I mean, is it, 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 to me, <clears throat> it would be obvious that it's a talent issue if the Gamecocks offense uh, did not look confused and all that against the teams that were lesser talented than the Gamecocks. Now Carolina's won all of those games, right? You know, I, I think that I didn't think there was a big talent, talent difference between Kentucky and Carolina. I think, you know, Kentucky's players a little more confident. You know, I, I think, you know, one, one good offensive drive the whole night and then it didn't happen anymore. You know, there, there were a lot of things that went into that game, but it, it wasn't talented. I mean, Georgia, Georgia and Texas a and a talent difference. I don't know. I think Tennessee has done a tremendous job maximizing what they have. And and you look at kind of what Josh, Josh Heupel done, and I – I've never been a fan of Josh Hyper, and I'll continue to say that. Uh, I've never thought, you know, fired at Oklahoma, replaced by Lincoln Riley. I didn't think his Missouri teams did much but score against lesser defenses. But I'll tell you this, at UCF, even though they kind of went backward when he was there, he Jeff Levy, Art Browell's uh, son-in-law, was on that staff. And there's a lot of that influence there. Look at Lane Kiffin. Uh, At Ole Miss, uh, he has Levy now, and there's a lot of that influence. Um, Kendall Browse at Arkansas. I mean, they all kind of come from the same tree. I I don't know if there's any people from the Browse tree left or not, uh, but I do think that's a good offense to run in the SEC. And and, and, and I mentioned people coming from the high school ranks, and, and, and here's the deal with high school. You have to play the hand you're dealt. And that's true in college to a certain extent, too. Okay, you can always upgrade in recruiting. You can always hit on a guy that, you know, is is just a baller that nobody else recruited and you're kind of lucky to get him and all that. So you can always upgrade your roster talent wise, you know, unlike high school, where a lot of times you're just, uh, you know, you're at the mercy of attendance zones and and people that move in and things like that. And so that's good. But, um, you know, I, I think that. You know, high school guys are like, okay, well, I, I don't have this this year. You know, I, I maybe have one good receiver, you know, so how am I going to play it and, and scheme it up to where we can run the ball, throw the ball, all that. You know, you may have a great running back one year, and then you may not. Okay, you may have a great quarterback that can chuck it all over the yard. The next year you may have more of a, a dual threat guy, or you may not have a good quarterback, and you got to find a way around it. And to me, that's what college coaching on offense is all about. Can you find a way around your deficiencies? Can you find your way around what you don't have, just like at the high school level? In the pros, uh, you figure out what you don't have, and then you go get it, right? And on game day, everybody's got talent. I mean, that's why you see that league is set up for parity talent-wise, and that's why you see teams – on any given Sunday, they can sit there and beat the other team, you know, and then look, upsets happen in college ball too, but look who's pulling the upsets. It's the maximizers. And at University of South Carolina, especially right now, you know, Gamecocks aren't necessarily um, on this big <laughs> winning streak or anything to where more recruits will uh, pop up and all that. You, you sort of got your pool of players and, you go do the best you can to get those guys and, and you, you recruit your butts up and, and, and try to upgrade the roster. But, you know, you, you can't go trade, you know, for a quarterback that, that's got an NFL mind. You know, you can't go trade for, you know, a bunch of great athletes or where it doesn't matter what you what you run. So. That's that's kind of what I'm looking at here. I, I just uh, I think that you know it, it sounds great to say we're going to run Joe Brady's offense, uh, Lincoln Riley's offense, and combine it. And, and look, man, if uh, if somebody comes along and says that's what they want to do, fine. I, I'm all for that because in that, that's why I said give this a chance because it sounds great. And people are like, well, blended systems don't work, and you're probably saying that because of B Mac and you know, now Satterfield. Uh, and so you're hesitant, but but I'll, I'll point this out. Steve Spurrier's offense at South Carolina was a blended system. When they started getting it going, uh, Wolford came in. They did some zone read stuff. Elliott came in after that, and they really started doing some zone stuff, running the ball. You had Lattimore and all that, and that wasn't what Spurrier used to do. Spurrier was a draw play, tall sweep, that kind of thing. That was his running game. So – you know that's that was a blended system that worked. You know what Kiffin's doing at Ole Miss is a blended system that works. Josh Heupel right now at Tennessee it's a it's a blended system that works. You know you just have to have the right guy putting it together. And and the thing is you know you got to look at it. Can he teach it? How complicated is it? You know you want something that appears complicated, but is not hard to learn. And I think, quite frankly, South Carolina's defensive coaches, I think that's what they do. I mean, it, it looks sort of exotic, what they're doing, but the kids have not had a problem learning it, right? Obviously, because they're playing much more free and all that than the Gamecocks offense. So, you know, that, that's just kind of, uh, it's kind of the deal there with the offense. And, you know, we'll see what Jason Brown can do. What can Brown do for you? Has been kind of the the motto and all that. And I, you know, I, I think he definitely deserves a shot. You know, you, you, he's healthy, he's uh worked his butt off, he's a really good kid. Uh the players like him, coaches like him. Um, you know, he he's he's got some wheels. Not he's not Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson, but he's not Luke Doty or Connor Shaw, but he's got enough. Uh, to where he can escape and uh, be elusive in the pocket and make things happen. And, you know, since, you know, Helensky sort of could could get out of trouble at times. Um, but really Jake Bentley was the last quarterback that Carolina had, you know, and, and, and maybe Helensky sometimes. But Bentley was the last quarterback that really had a knack for spinning out of pressure, rolling out, doing this. I mean, we, we remember Jake doing that. Colin Hill could not do that uh Zeb Nolan cannot do that Luke Doty is not ideal doing that with a foot like he had you know so this is something that I think uh could work now again you try to go out there and beat the Green Bay Packers uh schematically and play calling wise it's not going to work I mean there's going to be more confusion um but we'll see we'll see I, I think that that's if you're looking for anything, grasping at straws here right now about this offense, uh, I'm here to tell you here's a straw you can grasp at. Jason Brown uh, could really help, but they have to put him in a position to succeed. And again, that's college coaching as well. You know, finding your guys, finding your guys that can play and designing game plans around those cats, you know, because they, you know, in the game packs have some guys that can do it. You know, Jaheen Bell. I've mentioned EJ Jenkins. Um Josh Vans playing well. Marion Brown had a catch the other night. Still want to see a deep ball to him. You know, that that kind of thing. They're the tight ends. Nick Muse needs to catch more passes. I mean, there's there's guys with ability. The backs. Hopefully, Marshawn Lloyd and the success he had against A&M is going to propel him. I think he looked more comfortable. Um, you got to keep him from like getting popped. Uh, because I think every time he gets popped, you know, there's a ball security issue there. And there's also, you know, confidence getting back, confidence in the knee, that kind of thing. You have a Juju McDowell. You have a Zaquandre White, I think, on the perimeter running the ball. Those guys are good. You know, and, and look, man, you, you look at some good college offenses. Again, look, at, like, I'm going to do a little Gus on here, right, when he's been good they've had very similar personnel to South Carolina, with the exception of, you know, the Cam Newton year or whatever, and the Nick Marshall year, you know, that they've had a dual-threat quarterback. But you kind of look at how they used their backs and receivers, and you remember Ontario, Michaela, motion guy, Terry Grant in 2013, motion guy, and then they had their big back, um, I guess it was Trey Battle, uh, the 2013 year, and uh, Michael Dyer, Dwyer, Dyer, Dyer. Uh, the national championship year, uh, and they use their backs and maximize. You know, you'd send McCaleb in motion, whatever, on the jet sweeps or whatever. Well, man, Zaquandre White and Juju McDowell are perfect for that kind of role. You know, and I'm not saying Marcus Satterfield needs to go, you know, take a page out of Malzahn's playbook. I'm just saying there are ways that good college offenses maximize the talent that's there, so – Anyway, it's time for the iHelp Consulting in mailbag. Uh, told you about iHelp Consulting a long time ago. I uh, wanted to say uh, thank you, obviously, for, um, you know, the sponsorship here. Uh, Daniel Owens, iHelp Consulting can save your money, your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, all that without sacrificing quality. And you may be wondering how it works. It's pretty simple. Call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713. Set up a quick phone call or meeting. He's going to break it all down, examine where there may be savings, or you pay a junk fees, or your rate's too high. You may be wondering how I help gets paid, or that a consultant will charge you more than they're worth. Well, that's not how they do business. You only pay a percentage of your first year's savings. That's it. Not only that, if they can't save you money, you don't owe them a dime. So call or text Daniel Owens, I help consulting 843-372-5713 and give him a shot. You won't be sorry. A really good guy. Daniel is and really good business there. Um, all right. Also wanted to mention this. Daniel will do a free consultation. He just sent me an email to the first three business owners that call or text and tell him that you heard about it here on the podcast. he's going to put his money where his mouth is and show them what he can do. So, again, there's a special right now. Just got this email and hot off the presses, right? Daniel says, call or text him. First three business owners that do it, it's free. Giving away free stuff here. 843-372-5713. 843-372-5713. First three business owners, call or text Daniel. uh, Get a free deal. So, uh, give him a call. I help consulting. How can I help you? Proud sponsor of the mailbag here on the Inside the Game Cox podcast. All right. Tristan comes in. He says, uh, two questions. Do you think that Beamer's culture of love he's created makes it harder on him to make tough decisions on the coaches? I don't think so. Um, you know, I think there is something to kind of consider when you're talking about commitment, brotherhood, that kind of thing, uh, which is emphasized in the program. And I think that part of it's actually gone pretty well because if you watch the players uh, during the games, they don't quit. I mean, these guys play hard. You know, there's a difference between playing hard and playing well. Uh, they're trying, and uh, so I haven't seen anything like abandoning ship, abandoning ship, or guys just not motivated, all, all that. Um, again, motivation is part of college coaching, whereas in the NFL, you know, they're, they're pretty much self-motivated guys. If you're not, you're not going to last in the NFL very long. Um, so I don't think so. I, I think as far as, a, you know, mid-season changes, that may be a factor because, you know, sounds hypocritical if you're asking everybody to stick to it and then you chop somebody's head off and send them off, you know, people are going to be like, well, you know, does that mean, you know, we're all going to be together unless things get really bad and then you're going to kick them all? Now, now, look, I, honest to God, I, I'd i be very surprised if, you know, Beamer made a move like that, and and it's not going to happen. I mean, if it doesn't happen during the open date, it's not going to happen, in my opinion. Um, never say never, but in my opinion, it won't happen. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that if he got changed coordinators right now that it would – uh wreck the team chemistry. But that may be a uh that may be a part of it. You know, that may be part of the when you sit there and look at it. Well, I've preached this and togetherness. So we're gonna stay together through thick and thin. Um number two question from Tristan. Uh this question has nothing at all to do with Beamer. Just pretend like he's not our coach right now. Is there any coach out there? No limitations, no restrictions that could turn this program around in a year. I'm talking nine plus wins and being just one tier under elite is it even possible? you know a lot of it depends Tristan you know you look at this this season in particular, you head into this season and it was a it's a it was a really hard season to predict and you see that around college football. you know you see teams that were supposed to be good, not good, teams that weren't supposed to be good, good. I mean, I think a lot of people in Big Ten country are sort of beside themselves that uh, Michigan and Michigan State are both unbeaten and playing this weekend. Um, you half thought Michigan may be, but Michigan State was a big surprise. So, look, it's uh, y- you almost need a year like this if you're going to have a breakthrough year in, in year one. And I think that's why me and everybody else have been frustrated because – quite frankly, South Carolina, you know, heading into these last four games, if you – you know, you, you could have even gotten blown out by Georgia and AM and really, you know, chalked the Tennessee game up into having – running into a hot team. Uh, if they'd have played the teams that they are better than in, with these four wins, uh, better, you know, put up a bunch of yards, points, then you say, okay, well, you know, those other teams, there, there's reasons you lost that. And so there's hope. You know, right now, though, I, I still don't think this program is at the point from a roster standpoint where you can just say, all right, you get a great coach in here, and he ends up winning nine automatically. Uh, and, and keep in mind, too, you know, you look around and you see some of the, the coaches that – Nick Saban, for example, his starting point at Alabama he was seven and six and went to the Independence Bowl, lost to Louisiana Monroe at home. <laughs> first year, you know, his first year at LSU, he lost to UAB at home. Um, it took him a year to kind of get everybody on the same page. Uh, Dabo Swinney was 19 and 14, his first 33 games at Clemson. Now, his first full year, they won the division because they had Spiller and, uh, Spiller and Kyle Parker were both playing well and, and all that, and they won the division, but uh, they lost to Carolina by 17. Uh, that was the beginning of the streak. Uh, so, you know, no matter how good your coaches are, you know, when they take over a situation like this, that they're going to have to sort of uh, feel it out that first year. Now, what's happening this year is not a feeling out of anything. This is a – a dumpster fire on offense, and and it it was a mistake to try to do this. I mean, I'll say this right now. It's a mistake to try to run this, you know, and and I I would have said that no matter who the O.C. was, had I known that it wasn't just going to be a college modification of a pro-style offense with Brady and Lincoln-Riley concepts or whatever, whatever the description was, which sounded good. had I known that it was going to be like, okay, you know, you're not just going to run – a Variation of this offense, you're going to run this offense, yeah, with all of its intricacies. Yeah, I'd have said no, <laughs> not with this group, not not with any group, really. I, I said the other day the seven the the 2011 Gamecocks, eleven and two, really good team, dominant defense uh, after the first two games. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, uh, Marcus, for at least the first half. That group would not have won but six, seven games running this this system, uh, even with a veteran Garcia and a promising Connor Shaw. because it, it, it's just like I said I, I broke down the reasons. It's too hard to too hard to get you know, college kids to do this. So anyway, I appreciate it. Tristan. Uh, Hudson says, what's up, JC? My question today is about the culture Beamer wants to build. I have no doubt that Coach Beamer is the man for the job. The likelihood of him getting all of his coordinator hires right from the go-around was very slim, and it is no matter who the coach is. And I think the only coach that's really knotted out of the park with coordinator and uh, staff hires right off the bat at South Carolina uh, was Lou Holtz. And uh, Holtz even went 0-11 his first year. But you had Skip Holtz on offense, Charlie Strong on defense. You had some veteran guys. Um that kind of thing. And of course, Charlie Strong and Skip Holtz, very successful coaches. Uh, at times I know Charlie got fired, but, uh, you know, he's got, got good enough to get the Texas job and coached at Florida and all that, you know, as the DC and Skip, uh, unfortunately, you know, after USF, he, he you know, he goes to Louisiana tech and he's winning there a lot, but, uh, unfortunately unfortunately hadn't got another shot, but, uh, that's the only coach, and then and it's 22 years. I mean, Spurrier, hired John Thompson had to demote him and then went through Tyrone Nix for a few years and then finally settled on Ellis Johnson, but then promoted Whammy and then had to get hope. I mean, you know, the defensive coordinators for Spurrier were not – it wasn't like a, a one-shot thing, and he, he knocked it out of the park at the beginning, and that's Steve Spurrier, uh, who knew that coming from Florida that, you know, with the Stoops – you know, Bob Stoops was a big difference for the Gators, you know, back in the 90s. And he knew that, you know, with South Carolina. And Tyro Nix was a good hire. John Thompson was pretty good on paper. But then, um, you know, things didn't work out. So, you know, he had to go to something else. And, you know, so, so nobody hits it out of the park. Um, you know, and uh, Hudson goes on and says, I know that this point Coach Satterfield's not the answer. And uh, I agree. And so here's another question. He says, are you hearing the same things Tony has mentioned about t- on TBS regarding tension between I mean, Satterfield and other staff members? If so, how do you see Beamer handling that situation? Seems like that's detrimental to the culture being built here. I would hate to see it crumble before it even begins because of one person. Here's to better days. Um, I don't know enough about that to comment on it, you know. Uh, obviously you hear rumors and rumblings. Uh, I will say this and I'm speaking generally, if there is a bad apple in your organization that is alienating people, uh, you know, and I don't care whether it's business or, um, coaching or whatever, alienating people, plus not productive, you know, that equals disaster and you, you have to make a change, you know, and and I'll just leave it. I'll leave that one at that um jeff tales from willie b talking about the attendance. and look i got a point on this too uh i'm gonna say this about the attendance in south carolina i'm gonna say it once talking to some contacts this week lots of conversations i uh i understand there's lots of different reasons and i've been pretty steadfast in saying ah, it's probably not just the performance of the team. And I agree with that, but uh, I think, the, I think there's more to it after talking to some people and, and I'll say this attendance is a concern at the, with the administration at Carolina right now across the board, it's, it's a concern. um I didn't realize it was that big of a concern, but it's a concern. uh So Willie B says attendance, is an issue is an issue across college football. It's, just to, too costly. It's just too costly to justify for many, or even out of reach for most, most fans. There are other factors going on. COVID, TV coverage has gotten so much better in a lot of ways. It's better than sitting in the nosebleeds where you need binoculars to see numbers on uniforms. Then you have the crowd that can afford season tickets that's just not going to show up to watch a bad team struggle. Um, so while Beamer has bemoaned the crowds, and I agree, it's not good to have so many empty seats. Uh, it's till something's done to lower cost, improve the stadium experience, more comfortable seating, heat mitigation, concessions, and on-the-field performance, we're going to see a lackluster crowds going forward. These are the true reasons for lower attendance, not these keyboard warriors protesting. They have a very limited effect and mainly preach to the choir. Just opinion from a long-term fan who once could justify season tickets and now just can't. Yeah, look, man, things have been – uh, in South Carolina, for years, you know, under my right through Mike McGee, um, not very good facilities, not very good, not very many bells and whistles. Stadium didn't even look like the Gamecocks played there, unless you looked at the scoreboard. But it was inexpensive, and season ticket prices by comparison were very low, and it was very affordable. And that's what South Carolina football really the greatness of the fan support over the years has been built on. You know, South Carolina is a prosperous state now comparatively uh, to what maybe it used to be. But, you know, it's not like there's a bunch of millionaires walking around, you know, in South Carolina. Um, and quite frankly, Gamecock football should not be about the millionaires. I think you, you've got plenty of things to cater to those folks with luxury boxes and the zone and all the little club levels and stuff. Hey, plenty, plenty of, uh, plenty of, of of ways to cater to those guys and have them pay premium prices. You know what I'd like to see is bring back the cheap tickets and and don't wait until your season tickets are struggling to sell. Okay, don't wait. You know, go ahead and do it in the spring and say, all right, for this much money. You're going to be able to sit in East Upper each and every game. Tickets together, all that stuff. Uh, not East. Not not. Uh, it's not necessarily East Upper either. I mean, the other seats in the stadium, the cheap seats, do that, and you know, maybe contact some of these folks that have dropped their season tickets and 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 I'll call it a family package because that that's what it's about. That's what it's always been about at Carolina's family. You know, you, you how many people you see out there on a game day throwing the ball with their kids? They got. Grandma their grandpa I mean, and that's what they do as a family every single season and they look forward to it but then you price them out, you know and, and the team's struggling they're not going to be able to justify it uh, and, and that's eroded over time. I, I think too, you know you look at the the, the game day issues and, and and look it's hard for me to sit here and and blame the administration for the game day issues this year when you look around the country, Uh, And there's a shortage of workers. I I don't, you know, there's a lot of different theories about why people don't want to work right now. Uh, And I'll leave those to those of you that, you know, want to have your opinion on it. Um, But If you don't have enough personnel to staff the game and it literally the university uh, was begging for volunteers And, and, you know, you can, you can come volunteer and get volunteer work, work in the games or, you know, we can pay you. I mean, they're like, we have plenty of jobs. We have volunteer opportunities. Help us, you know, please. Uh, and it just hadn't happened. And, um, you know, that may be keeping people away too. Cause like you said, Jeff, I mean, it, it it's a whole lot easier to sit there and watch it on TV where you can see everything and you got your cooler here and you got the bathroom there. And you don't have to wait in line and you're not missing any action. Uh, where if, you know, as opposed to spending a ton of money to go to the stadium, sit in the nosebleeds, miss an entire quarter of football to get a beer or hot dog uh, and do that. So so I understand all that. I also will say this for those that are protesting, it's not help. It it doesn't help. Uh, I'll also add this. Um, Does it, in spite of the reasons You know, and and we just outlined some legit reasons, and I said I would like to see USC get back to the basics and and have some family packages and stuff, people come to games. Um, It's probably not even going to be worth that until this worker shortage thing's over and they have it fully staffed. But, uh, you know, in spite of the reasons, it, it does not help when you're trying to get a program back Uh, to where it needs to be because lack of attendance and empty seats in a stadium and things like that. That's uh, uh, obviously I told you the, the, um, the admin is concerned about that. And then number two, it's, it's a situation where it doesn't help recruiting at all. In fact, other than like coaching uncertainty and and things like that, where coaches, a bunch of coaches are leaving or going or head coaching change, that can kill you in recruiting if you don't have a great atmosphere, because what are you selling? Hey, come here and play in front of 40,000. <laughs> well, I can go to Auburn and play in front of 90. <laughs> um, and, and I'll say this too, uh, and you're right about this, Jeff. I I, uh I, um, I saw, watched Florida State play. Florida State's been actually winning – Lately going into the Clemson game this weekend. They but they played UMass last Saturday. They think they won like 52 to 6. And that stadium was shoot. I mean, it looked like a COVID crowd. It dope Campbell. I mean, terrible. I mean, it, it, you almost I mean, it wasn't a sea of garnet and gold. It was like garnet specks in there. You know, so South Carolina's not alone in this. I, I'm just saying that, you know. This is, this is going to be an issue, I think, that gets discussed this offseason. Um, and, and there needs to be a wide variety of solutions, um, you know, starting with the play on the field. I mean, you know, if Carolina were you know, sitting at six and two right now during the open date, Gators coming to town, I, I think there would be 80, you know, what, what is the seat now, 77,000? I think it was 70,000 people there. It wouldn't be a bad crowd. Thank you, Jeff. Certainly appreciate it. Uh, da, 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 da. Adam says, "JC, we're referencing the movie It in the mailbag." Another great analogy for game cut football is a girlfriend that breaks up with you every weekend. Through the week, you start get the warm fuzzies, and your hope starts rising. Then, bam, right in the gut. Rinse and repeat. Adam, <sighs> thanks, Adam. Uh, you know, <laughs> I luckily... Well, I don't know. I guess I had one girlfriend like that once upon a time. Horrible human being. Probably the worst one I've ever dated. Uh, school teacher. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Um. Dale says, JC, I listened to Sunday teleconference today. And a reporter. I think I've already gotten to this one. I think I answered this on Sunday or Monday. And I may have answered a couple of more. I, I I went through and recorded... A podcast somebody's gonna find my lost podcast episodes one day the lost tapes uh went back had some technical difficulties was starting to splice it together and honestly guys I was way too fired up and I just didn't feel comfortable releasing it uh I just like you know, I probably went too uh went too much went too much there um Jared says. Well, it's not the weekend we wanted. I had low expectations for the AM game. But after the first quarter, it was the Braves game on my TV. I, I was actually fortunate. I went somewhere I could watch both games. So, you know. He says, with Zeb out for surgery, I know they say he'll be back, but I doubt it. I would rather see Colton start over Jason Brown. I would not. And I've heard a lot of you say it. I don't think he's ready. I don't think he gives you a chance right now. I like him, I think uh, big arm. He's going to be a pretty good player here, but I don't, I, you know, when you got Jason sitting there, he's got experience and has played well, worked his butt off. I don't, I don't see shoving Colton ahead of him. I, I think that would be a bad move uh, on the part of them. And, uh, you know, so, so some people take the approach that, Oh, this season's over and whatever. Um, no, it, the season's not over. I mean, you, you could win two or four, catch lightning in a bottle, win three or four. There's some important games left. Uh, so if you started Colt, that it would just kind of be like when they started Doty last year. Season was over anyway. Uh, why not see, like, if he can give you a spark or whatever? This is my question for you. What are the realistic chances of Beamer getting rid of Satterfield? This game was a staple of how bad this offense is. I know A&M's a good team, but still. I seriously hope it doesn't affect recruiting, but who would want to play for this offense? Okay, so as far as getting rid of it, don't, I don't know. I don't have any knowledge of it. Uh, I've told you guys what I would do. Um, and, and I've told you why this offense is bad. So, you know, there, there's a solution <laughs> uh, that I think is obvious. But, you know, uh, I, I think that, We'll just Have to wait till the end of the season to, to figure that out and, and to see because you know, and look, making a move mid year is a catch 22 as far as changing play callers. I've seen it work really well, I've seen it be a disaster, so there's just a lot uh going on there. Um, as far as recruiting goes, uh, you know what, I think you know, that there's ways you could sell it and keep in mind, too, recruits aren't fans. You know, and, and I see this a lot. No players are going to come. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's not true. But, you know, players, I've seen Carolina with worse teams than this pull recruits. I mean, and, and, I, and I think you'll see this once we get past the season into the December recruiting period that the staff's going to rally, you know, whatever changes happen have to happen. They're going to rally, regroup, go hit the recruiting trail hard and, and get players. Um, now, look. If you're Antonio Williams and you're sitting there watching every game and, you know, crowds aren't showing up and all that and you've got other options plus a bad offense, yeah, maybe that that impacts you. But, you know, as far as at the end of the day, are they going to be able to recruit? Yeah, they're going to be able to recruit fine. With little expectations, my dad and I were rolling to Columbia for Auburn, Carolina to celebrate my dad's 64th birthday. Hopefully we have a different offense. Our offensive coordinator by then, Jared. Yeah, that's a a good game to go to, that Auburn game. And and happy birthday to your dad. Like I said before, Carolina football is about family. And so any – you know, and I went to the Kentucky game, man, and I hung out with some very good friends of mine, very good friends of mine. And, And I tell you, I had a blast, time of my life, other than the loss. And everybody was depressed after the loss because of the loss, but hanging out with those people was outstanding, and that's really what it's all about. Darian says, "I understand a lot of our problems can be solved through recruiting, and Beamer came in as a good recruiter. I look at recruiting right now, and although it isn't as bad as far as defensive players, we barely have any offensive players. And looking at the play on the field, I don't see many recruits wanting to come play in this offense. And, you know, I just kind of addressed that. Where, where is this great recruiting staff we were promised? Will it come with more time? I almost feel like we've been duped on everything we were promised." such as all-star recruiting and an innovative offense that gets balls to playmakers. I know this is long. I'm just getting frustrated. I understand your frustration. Um, I think what a lot of you including yourself here have to keep in mind and, and stop lumping everything into the same category. There's a problem at South Carolina with the offense. Okay. The system, the play calling, the teachability of the offense, the execution of the offense, um, there's enough players to be better right now, okay? Uh, you know, She's a quarterback, I guess. Probably need to go consider getting that taken care of since it's so important. Uh, but I don't think there's a quarterback in the cut. I mean, people talk about Spencer Rattler coming in. Spencer Rattler got benched because he can't read defenses running Lincoln Riley's quarterback-friendly scheme. What the heck do you think he's going to do if he has to play for Marcus Satterfield, you know, in this system? Um, but – you know, I think too that a lot of uh, a lot of you get, get kind of get the narrative mixed up about Muschamp and Beamer, and so you know I, I don't think anybody said there was going to be an all-star recruiting staff. Uh, I, I think what I said about the staff is it'll be a good staff that'll make sense, uh, and really. You know, the guys on staff are all really pretty good recruiters. They've gone out and gotten guys. Um, do they need would – would it be great to land at Antonio Williams and a Caleb Webb at receiver along with Landon Sampson and Kyle Horton, and then you go into the portal and get some – yeah, sure. A receiver needs upgrades. That's true. Uh, the secondary needs an upgrade. They have One of the better defensive backs classes around. Uh, Braden Davis has a high upside as a quarterback. Um, you know, they've got a lot of guys. And it was actually better than expected. Uh, And I'm going to say this right now. You can have the best recruiters in the country. And look, when Muschamp came in, yeah, you had two national recruiters of the year on that first coaching staff. And Muschamp himself was an excellent recruiter and elite. And you look at their first class and, you know, in 30 days, they hit on a lot of guys like DJ Wanham and Brian Edwards and Rico Dowdle and all those cats. Uh, yeah, that was, that was the must champ thing. Um, and I think the same people same thing gets confused sometimes when you talk about, we were told the offensive line was the strength of the team. Um, and i will get to that in a second. Cause somebody posted something on the message board yesterday. That's got me a little fired up about that. Um, but you can recruit all you want, uh, all you want. um, and if you don't have a good crowd and you have a bunch of empty seats, you are not getting guys. Uh, and I'm not blaming the fans. Uh, but I think some fans, uh, and I'm not saying you're, you're doing this Darren, at all. Some fans, I think, look at it like these guys just need to go recruit and then I'll show up or whatever. No, it's it's just, that's not how it works. (laughs) That's putting the cart before the horse. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that if the crowds continue to be light, which I anticipate them being, I'm not saying that uh, that these guys aren't going to get any players because you. that's just one more obstacle, though, that you have to overcome. And uh, I think recruiting has been fine. I, th- I think that, you know, there were some guys like, you know, the, the two guys that went to Florida, uh, Gibson, Jaden Gibson, the receiver and then the, the defensive tackle whose name escapes me from down there. You know, those guys went to Florida, they had Florida and Carolina right there. Um, you know, it was going to take probably just an outstanding situation, you know, in other words, winning, but also Florida, maybe screwing it up a little bit. Also, you know, a lot of momentum uh, for the game Gamecocks to get those guys, same thing with Oscar Delp. They did the best they could with that. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I think everybody's kind of, you know, they're looking for anything they possibly can to criticize right now. And and I think, you know, you, you just have to wait for recruiting and you know, kind of see who ends up going where and, and what they get and all that. So I, I, I uh, and look, there'll be a decommitment at some point, a flip. Maybe Floyd, maybe Floyd, Florida sort of after him right now. Floyd's the defensive back out of Georgia, they got so you know, I I would just wait on recruiting and, and just see kind of what happens. And you know, a reminder, you know, Steve Spurrier's first full cycle, the 06 class, and I mentioned this a lot. I don't think this class is like the 06 class, but I've mentioned it before you know, everybody thought recruiting that the, the, that his first class in 05 was better. And then everybody thought, Oh, recruiting's in the tank in 06, but you got Eric Norwood, Darren Stewart, captain Munerlin, uh, Emmanuel cook, those guys. And, uh, that kind of helped keep the program afloat while they were trying to build the offense or whatever. So I don't know, you know, don't, don't, you haven't been duped on anything. I think that, uh, Besides the innovative offense, because you know what? Uh, It's this innovative offense that gets the ball to playmakers. Uh, You know, I I think on paper you would probably look at this and go, this is innovative. This is, uh, you know, this is from a a football standpoint. But this isn't the NFL. I mean, you know, uh, the second part of that, getting the ball to playmakers, I don't know what the hell's been going on there. I have no idea. I have, there's no rhyme or reason in terms of, okay, we're going to get the ball to this guy and this guy and this guy and let them go make plays. There's nothing like that taking place. So obviously you're not the only one that's been duped about that. You can include me on that list. I think you could probably include Shane Beamer on that list. Uh, A lot of people, you know, and I'm not saying that Marcus Satterfield's this, you know, guy that, you know, a charlatan or anything. I'm just saying he's probably at the wrong level of football to be doing what he wants to do. You know, I don't know if he'd do any better in the NFL or not. I'm just saying that the things he wants to do, you can't teach uh, in the time allotted for college and college coaching is about much more than just installing your game plan. You know, again, it's about motivation. It's about balancing time. Uh, It's keeping guys heads in it. You know, it's everything, all of the above. Um, and I think the defensive staff has it figured out, and that's why, although I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this defense is elite or even one of the better ones they've had over the years at Carolina, it, you can tell those guys play a lot more free. Even if they make a mistake, you know, they're right back out there. They're not confused, that type of thing, uh, whereas the offense has just been a, a big ball of confusion uh, the entire year. Uh, so, yeah, I, that's a good email, Darren. I appreciate it. Hang, hang in there. Uh, again, and with recruiting, uh, I think the attendance issue, and I'm not blaming fans for this because we went over the reasons, uh, that's going to hurt Carolina, you know, the more players that come in for games uh, to a certain extent. Uh, I think right now, especially what you look at with that is maybe the 2023 group where you got Xavier McLeod, guys like that in state, you know, you're kind of sitting there looking, and, you know, that if they get some points of comparison, who knows. But uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, that's what you're looking at recruiting right now. I think also, you know, the, the offense, I mean, you have to look at it if you're an offensive player and go, man, that's a lot, and then I'm not getting results, you know, not going to be able to put up numbers, that kind of thing. So I appreciate that. Uh, Jim says – I know you're not a coaching expert and you don't tell coaches how to coach. So I'll pose this question to you as someone who's covered recruiting for years. At what point, if at all, does a failing offense affect recruiting? And again, from a recruiting standpoint, at what point does the ineptitude start to become a concern for long term? Do you think fan fears of players hitting the transfer portal because of the awful offense are warranted? Uh, Yeah, I do. I don't uh, – you know, I I, I I, I, can't imagine some of the better players on this offense are sitting there thrilled about the, you know, confusion, the advanced calculus nature of the system, the lack of getting the ball to the playmakers consistently, that type of thing. So, yes, I, I agree with you there. And, you know, unfortunately the portal is a fact of life, and there are players – on the roster that could be much more productive uh, in a different system, whether that's at South Carolina or otherwise. As a follow-up, perhaps it's beating a dead horse. I know you've said so many times this system is just too difficult for players to pick up. In your opinion, where is the line between trying to implement a new system and trying to keep the wheels on? You've said a thousand times you're concerned this learning curve will be there every year, but do you think there is a chance? Once the players get comfortable in this system, it will take off? Can you make an argument they should stay the course and we could be patient? I cannot. I cannot. I I can't. I can't make an argument. Hope I'm wrong. I mean, look, if if I were wrong, it would be great. I'll I'll tell you, hey, look, I was wrong. You know, it it just took them eight games to get it going and a quarterback change, and, boy, that offense really looked great. Super play calling. I mean, but I'm not confident. I'm not telling anyone out there. Oh, well, they just need more time in this system. No, 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 no. You're going to have a learning curve whenever you put in a new system. But we've seen new systems at South Carolina a lot lately, and it's always been better than this. And the, the, the there's, been, there's never been like a, ah, well, the new system got them there. <laughs> Goodness gracious. It, it's always been like, ah, well, you know, they're going to be much better once they get it. going kind of Like when Spurrier took over. You know, obviously transitioning from what Holtz liked to do on offense to a fun and gun kind of deal uh, was going to be a challenge. Uh, and, you know, the South Carolina didn't score very much first game and really all that whole season. But you could see it, right? You could say, okay, well, Mitchell to Sidney Rice, you know, you could see, okay, well, here's how it's supposed to work. You know, by the time the end of the year came along, they, they got the offensive line figured out, they could finally run the football um you know uh, kurt roper's first year when they got bentley in there they finally figured it out you know uh so i've seen system transitions before and this is a little bit more ridiculous than that and and you know i probably have a little more knowledge as to what exactly they're trying to do than maybe i did previously and uh it's just it's just a bad idea you can ask just about any football coach in the country that's realistic about what it takes to to coach college football as opposed to the pros, and they probably tell you the same thing. He says, I'm guessing, Jim goes on, I'm guessing you're getting sick of these questions. I wish we could talk about something else. Yeah, me too, but uh, not really. I don't know. This is my job, so I don't I don't mind doing it. I get a little fired up like you all do, but Jim goes on. We expected the defense to be thin on talent, but I thought Beamer's strength would be highlighting talent on offense while hiding the weak spots. No, nah, and it's, it's – I don't – I think Beamer was hopeful that that would happen. But, you know, he's the head coach, not the OC. You know, Beamer – Shane Beamer's a coach who's going to hire guys and let them go coach. And, and you know, that means you got to hire good coordinators. Uh, still convinced there are playmakers there. It's been so frustrating, especially listening to guys I actually like, like Saturday Down South or Josh Pate, just gloss over the game, guys, because they're so irrelevant. Yeah, it's relevance has been an issue here lately. And that impacts recruiting, too. Uh, that was a lot of words. Feel free to split it into different shows. Uh, I got all you there, Jim. Jim, I appreciate you listening. Jim's a longtime listener of mine, and uh, appreciate his feedback and his question. This is the final mailbag question of the day. Xavier says, hey, JC, my question is, what are the chances that if we keep Satterfield over the offseason, we lose key playmakers like Bell or Lloyd to the transfer portal? See how these guys know their talent level and aren't being utilized in the current system. I, I have not heard a thing about anybody leaving and transferring, but look, man, the players have to be frustrated. The players have to, you know, know that they're confused, and, and the players have to kind of be looking around at their buddies at other schools and going, "Hey, well, this looks like fun. So – That's uh that's that. But as a, you know, in in terms of, am I going to sit here on the podcast and sound alarm bells? Hey, this guy's transferring. I don't, I don't think that's, nothing is imminent. All right. How about that? All right. That concludes the, uh, I help consulting mailbag for today. I certainly appreciate it. Um, Appreciate uh, all of you guys there. Appreciate Daniel Owens. Want to give you that number again, again, first three business owners that contact, uh, you get absolutely free uh, 843-372-5713 and again if they can't save you any money you don't pay anyway so it's it's no risk especially now uh, so contact Daniel Owens I hope consulting 843-372-5713 give him a shot and uh, yeah so there you go that's the end of the podcast for today on Thursday hopefully you guys enjoyed this don't know probably have another podcast later this week I'm Probably try to get one out Friday before I go. Uh, let's see. The Braves Braves are playing. They're off, I guess, right? While they switch back to Atlanta. I'm just gonna check my handy dandy MLB deal there. And um, hold on. Yeah, Friday. So yeah, 709. So yeah, I'm <laughs> taking a record of podcast during the day and then. Go watch the Bravos. Thankfully, they are in the World Series again. The team, one of the teams of my childhood. So here we go. All right. See you guys later. Hopefully uh, better days are ahead. We'll talk more about Florida. Keep the mailbag questions going. Thanks again, Heritage Digital. I help consulting uh, for sponsorship this week. And Cindy Searfoss of Coldwell Banker Kane uh, up in Spartanburg. Your real estate needs. Uh, be sure to hit her up. By the way, she sponsors the the uh what is it? The predictions segment. There's no prediction this week. I ahead, go ahead and say 864-414-57. I'm sorry, 864-414-5271. Cindy Searfoss real estate market is insane right now. So you need a pro to help you. 35 years experience uh in the upstate. So all right, so just to reset, Florida next Saturday night, 7.30 p.m., SEC Network, williams Bryce. Uh, if I don't get back to you and have another episode this week, I'm shooting for tomorrow, but we know things come up. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, breaking down the Gators, get a good look at that Florida-Georgia game, cocktail party, all that good stuff, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, Gamecock fans. This is J.C. Sherbert signing off.